What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we're doing a book review of Seth Godin's Tribes. Uh, my co-host is copywriter, senior copywriter from Whole Foods, Chad Lott. So we were in the meeting, I was like, well, instead of us coming up with our rules, let's just go find somebody who really knows what they're talking about, and we'll just use their rules. This is another episode of Innovation and Leadership. Today, we're going to be picking from the 400 plus books on business, marketing, and strategy that we've read, and talking about one of them that we feel like can have a big impact on innovators and entrepreneurs as they try to invent the future. As always, in addition to learning from the show, we hope you'll consider clicking on the Child Rescue tab on our website, iCollective.co to see how you can help change the life of a child that's been rescued from abuse and trafficking. Also, we love all of you who've been emailing to tell us what parts of the episodes you really liked or or what was helpful to you. And to everybody else, if you have time, we'd love to hear from you. Just send me an email at stories at iCollective.co. And now on to the episode. Chad, thanks for making time. Yeah, always. Um, So I know we're going to talk about it too. You you obviously take on work outside of Whole Foods. to get things started, because we're going to talk about a tribe and developing a tribe like Seth Godin, tell us about a couple of things you're doing. Tell us about your blog and your new podcast. Sure. Uh, so I, I just got on the, uh, the advice of Seth Godin, uh, who wrote Tribe. He said that anybody involved in knowledge work or had a perspective should have a blog that they write every single day. And it only needs to be a couple words for each post. So about six months ago, I was like, you know what? Um, I'm really into implementing the advice of people who are successful at the things I do, uh, I, I want to do. So I, I'm just going to take your word for it and do it. So for the past six months, I've been writing a blog post every day at chadfredlot.com. And um, I just passed 185 days. And my, my goal was to do 365 days in a row. And it's been an interesting process doing that. Um, because it's gotten me thinking more creatively. It's gotten me being a little more stingy with my time. Uh, so I'm doing a little bit less freelance work in favor of doing my own projects. And another one of my own projects is uh, I have a new horror podcast called Scary Thoughts that should be on iTunes in a week or two. It'll probably be up by the time this episode airs. But it's a real kind of like nerdy, academic, philosophical look at uh, the horror genre. And especially like kind of smaller, more independent horror movies. But every once in a while we'll do a big crazy slasher movie like Nightmare on Elm Street or something. But yeah, and all that we can get into talking about why that all has a tribal, uh, tribal relevance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I'm glad that you brought this book up. I love this book. Been reading this book for years and years, rereading it, recommending it all over the place. Um, And, and kind of for me, the concept that resonated the most out of it is this idea of like, you don't have to outspend the big advertisers out there. 
what you need to do is you need to find like, you know, what Chris Anderson would call your thousand true fans, right? Like mm -hmm. you yeah. need to get these people who think that you're amazingly awesome at this one thing. So that when that subject comes up, your name is the name that gets brought up. Even if that's really narrow, it's like something that you legitimately have something to offer on because you've gone deep enough in that one thing. Um, and that basically, if, if you can do that, that, that essentially your tribe, this, this, I think he would have called the book cults instead, mm -hmm. <laughs> except yeah. for the negative connotations and people wouldn't have picked it up. But basically right. he's like, how can you, how can you make your fans, your followers into a family? How can you, how can you gather these people who see the world the same as you and basically go farther and deeper with that so that uh, as they're looking for stuff, you are the obvious source. And basically that like, if you can do this well, that there's an income in it for you. Um, right. That's the way I sum it up. How do you sum up this book? You know, so really similar. Uh, one of the things that's interesting to note about this book is it was written in 2008. So as, as far as marketing books go, it's ancient, right? And this may as well be Old Testament marketing at this point. Um, <laughs> Says the marketing but, guy. Right. But, you know, one of, one of the things I liked about this book and one of the reasons why I recommend it in particular to small businesses and people who are very small and just starting off is that you can spend a lot of money marketing. And the old adage in marketing is like, yeah, you know, we know that 50% of our marketing works. We just don't know which 50%. And I think when you're thinking about a tribe, you're going to have a better idea of what is going to work for that marketing those marketing efforts and where your money's spent just because you kind of know the people who are involved, you know, like you're going to know what those people think are cool. Um, you know, for instance, if you have a dodgeball company, um, you know, like there, there are going to be rules and social mores to those, those things. Like maybe like I, I guess dodgeball company might not be a great example because I don't know very much about it, but uh, a, a good example would be CrossFit, right? He talks about CrossFit in the book and What's, what's interesting about CrossFit at the time when he talked about it was it was way before the Reebok sponsorship. It was way before the CrossFit Games. And part of what he's talking about is the, the, the shared experience and the shared like cultishness of it. Uh, it's still there, even though the organization is much bigger. And it's because they have very interesting in-group you know, language and rituals and culture. And you know, there are plenty of companies. Like, I think when he wrote this book in 2008, he would have been talking more about, like, hey, you need to start the tribe. And so he uses CrossFit as an example, like, hey, this is this really interesting tribe that started. But an something that you can do now, I think, is market to a tribe. You don't necessarily need to create a tribe. Like, once the tribe is big enough, you can create products for it. I mean, there is a million companies out there that make you know, knee-high socks or hand guards or special kettlebells or all this stuff that are really just oriented towards, like, the functional fitness scene. Um, and, yeah, it's just, it's just really interesting. You know, I think, um, I think for me what was interesting about this, too, is I, I feel like he helped me be a bit more courageous in thinking about ways I can do it because, like, I'll give you an example. I've been really diving into a lot of willpower research recently um jay mcgognell from stanford or roy blamaster both have great books on it um and there's this concept in there that to make a decision that the word decide has some similarities with the root word for homicide and right. that when we're deciding something essentially 
we're cutting something else off, which, right. which feels like a loss. I mean, I've been, uh, you know, in the various times I've been advising startups or I've been advising different clients who are working on an advertising campaign, the idea of excluding any potential client is just causes a lot of fear, right? Right. Like, oh, well, if we do that, we might alienate this other part of the population. And what I feel like where that becomes like a natural loss aversion kind of kind of concept that comes to any of us very easily, right? right. What isn't inherently um, as evident is this idea that by not choosing a tribe, by not putting a stake in the ground and saying, this is us, that you really can't tap into the deeper emotions of anybody. Like, right. you know, all of us have these few things of like, I self-identify as this. Like I personally self-identify as an A&W root beer fanatic, right? I'm a snowboarder. I, um, I love the Jason Bourne genre of books, right? Like I <laughs> listen to like 200 audiobooks from that genre, right? Like I right. identify a lot with that. Um, and so when people um, get out there and they try to be everything to everyone, it just has such a low probability of really being successful, right? Right. But at least we haven't cut any potential consumers off. That's what I think we tell ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. And in the real world, what ends up happening is nobody's that excited. And so uh, you just kind of end up being that blah, that meh kind of uh, offering in a sea of offerings. Um, yeah. Do you have thoughts about that? Especially in, like, obviously uh, your blog and your podcast are, are very specific to, to people right. with interest groups. So what about at work at Whole Foods? What, what, how does this show up at, at Whole Foods? Sure. So at Whole Foods, you know, in the older days, the earlier days of the company, uh, there was a, a really specific, definite tribal affiliation that you would, you know, health food people were a very certain type of person, right? Um, Whole Foods kind of won the conversation about food, you know, like you have kale chips at Walmart, you know, like I, I, I talked to my friends back home in Louisiana and they're experimenting with like gluten-free diets. And there's a there's a ultra runner from northern Louisiana, this guy, Josh Lajani, who's one of my favorite Internet personalities of all time because he's not really an Internet personality. He's just a dude. He's kind of like where where that show Duck Dynasty takes place. He's kind of like a dude that would live up in that area. But he's gone vegan and he's lost like 200 pounds. You know, so we have these there was this like style of health food eating that was that was you would associate with like a whole food shopper. And then. Uh, now, within the store, our tax is kind of like, you're probably coming into the store as a member of one of these tribes already. So let's make sure that we have the some products oriented towards these big tribes. Like we have really good plant-based offerings. And then, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but veganism or the word vegan has, has sort of a negative connotation now. I mean, I don't want to argue with people about whether or not you should or shouldn't say vegan, but like the research shows that people are now gravitating towards the term plant-based because it's less politically loaded. So people want to, um, so there's this whole concept of the plant-based athlete, not maybe not necessarily an animal rights person, but when you walk in the Whole Foods market, we know that there's this kind of whole endurance racing, trying to live lean, probably minimalist lifestyle, probably have a little bit of money, uh, plant-based consumer. And so you'll be able to find that stuff in the store. Uh, another one is uh, the paleo diet, something that a lot of people thought was going to be a uh, fad. It sure 
is going strong 10 years later. And so now when you walk into Whole Foods Market, we'll, we'll have marketing from like an influencer like Michelle Tam from Nom Nom Paleo, where we have these little three inch shouters that are just small little tags throughout the store that has her logo. Uh, and it's really communicating specifically with her tribe. And she just, we went through the store and said, hey, why don't you just pick out some stuff that you really like? You know, there's no, there's no outside pressure from us to say, hey, look, you know, we'd really like to sell more of this particular coconut water right here. Wouldn't you like this one? Wink, wink. You know, because that's the thing about tribes is uh, like tribes. Authenticity are really smart. is key. They're really authenticity. You couldn't come in like friends, like the whole reason why we work with Michelle Tam is because I had been kind of involved in the whole early days of the paleo thing. This is working at a grass fed meat company for years before Whole Foods. And when we started thinking about marketing more towards like a paleo consumer, the conversation was like, okay, well, paleo is such a broad thing anyway. Like, do you eat cheese? Do you not eat cheese? Are you a paleo person that lets beans be in your diet or not? You know, it's pretty, there's like, even within the tribe of paleo dieters, there are tribal affiliations. You know, it's like basically keeps fractaling out forever. So we were in this meeting, I was like, well, instead of us coming up with our rules, let's just go find somebody who really knows what they're talking about and we'll just use their rules. So that's one of the strategies that, uh, a company can use, especially kind of a larger company, can use to tap into tribal marketing and tribal affiliation is go find the head of that tribe and see if they'll work with you, you know? Well, and Okay, I love ooh. this. Yeah, I love this. Um, but I, And I feel like it highlights something else too, which is like, you know, you look at like a, a Procter & Gamble, right? And they don't right. have Procter & Gamble dishwashing soup and Procter & Gamble toothpaste. They have Crest and they have Cascade and they have Tide. And they have like that one, like essentially their brand means one thing, right? They have great positioning because nobody says like, uh, what kind of Tide did you want? Like toothpaste Tide or dishwashing Tide? You know, like Mm -hmm. Tide means, you know, maybe there's whiter Tide or bleach Tide or whatever, you know, but we all know this is for clothes, right? Where Mm -hmm. when you're asking Crest, again, nobody wonders if this is like Crest for the dishwasher, right? Because that would be Cascade. and. And by like having that thing that they stand for, that thing that they are, um, it allows a clear differentiation, but that people don't necessarily need to be a one tribe kind of thing. Like, you know, I know that you're totally into all this food stuff that we talk about, but that you also like building AR-15s and doing jujitsu, right? Right. My my guess is that you do not want to hear about jujitsu from uh, your paleo influencer if they're not a super legit jujitsu person. Right. Um, you, you see, like, this is something you would see in the early days of CrossFit. Like, there weren't too many endurance athletes in, in CrossFit, right? And then you would have an article written by somebody who was just a pretty good CrossFitter about, like, how you should run a marathon. And it was not great advice. It really wasn't very good. But eventually, um, a dude came along, and I'm, I, I cannot remember his name, um, but he, he started, like, the whole CrossFit endurance program, and he was a legit ultra runner and so he brought in uh like tribal knowledge of ultra running um it's gonna bother me what this guy's name is because he's pretty cool and i feel like uh you should get a shout out <laughs> okay um, um he wrote he wrote the book power speed endurance um oh man i can't even brian mckenzie that's his name so brian mckenzie was a dude who was an in deep ultra athlete 
and he also he came from that tribal world of ultra athletes and then he connected with the tribal world of crossfit and he brought authenticity from both of those things together and it almost creates like a rogue wave right like if you can combine if you can uh combine tribal authenticity and expertise you can even come up and create an even bigger cooler thing i mean that's what we see with joe rogan's supplement company on it right like what what do bow hunting jujitsu psychedelics comedy and libertarian politics have to do with each other nothing right but he's created this whole brand and tribe of people who sort of identify with all that stuff and their company on it is really specifically oriented to people who who care about that 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 weird odd mixture of stuff so you know the uh, one of the things that Seth Godin talks about in the book is that people don't belong to only one tribe like you might have one main tribal affiliation but you definitely don't only belong to one and then sometimes those combined tribes create even more interesting uh social opportunities or marketing opportunities you know one thing that i think is epic about the way he approaches this too is again it's not the tyrant with a thousand helpers kind of tribe like he is actively promoting the benefit of having your tribe members meet each other and know each other Mm -hmm. and like have the kind of grateful dead concert feeling of like oh you're in the club right and these you know, you look at like a book like Contagious by Jonah Berger, the Wharton professor who talks about how do things go viral, right? Right. And he, he has one of his six principles. We should, we should do an episode about his book. It's great. But one of his six principles about um, if you make it visual so that people can spot each other as like self-identifying, oh, I'm, you know, I buy this product. I'm this kind of person that um, it spreads it faster and it also lets them make connections from people who are like passionate about the same thing. Right. And, you know, I got a, I was at a conference. I was at 99U, that uh, Behance conference of Adobe's. And mm-hmm. uh, and um, there was someone else there, too, that I met. I'm trying to think who that was. Oh, oh hold on. I think that was you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know if you remember when I went up to the front and asked Seth Godin a question. And I was like, hey, how do you get people to gather together? who are not already already gathering together as a tribe. Right. And he's he's like, let me premise this with why are you trying to gather them? Like, I, I will, I will answer your question, but like, let's ask this, like, is this really the right tree to be barking up? If these people don't want to get together already, why is it that you think, Hey, why is it that you were trying and me, why is it that you think you're going to be successful if, if this isn't something they naturally want to do? Right. But then he went on to talk about, Hey, look at, Look at Harley Davidson, who was able to gather the people who felt cast out by society. Look at, you know, um, some of these people have overcome that and put something really great together, right? But it has a lot to do with giving them the chance to self-identify, right? That Harley right. Davidson logo was a great self-identifier as, you know, wearing a badge of what kind of person I am around, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so um, when you think about when you think about tribes and you think about all these different Seth Godin things, um, I think it's interesting that he talks about essentially getting started. Like, I feel like a lot of the book is about courage about like, Hey, the car might not be pointed exactly the right direction right now, but turn the ignition and get started and you'll be able to get it pointed the right direction. But, but get going. Do you, do you feel similar? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think is a, a constant 
and his work, and I, it, it just uh, appears over and over again in each one of his books, is that um, like fortune favors the bold, right? Like mm-hmm. if you if you do the thing and get out the door and go hard, even if it doesn't work out the way you think it's going to work out, there's going to be some benefit, and so that like stepping out, taking a chance, doing a thing. Uh, because you want to and are interested in it and have passion for it, that's always a good move, right? Um, you could parse that out, and then he always has the backup, like, okay, well, what if it doesn't work? Well, yeah, I mean, not, not everybody wins. <laughs> you know, like, that's just the thing. But you might find yourself connected to a tribe that you didn't even know you were part of before. I mean, like, so he, he basically, his main thesis is that, like, if you have a tribe, you have to have two things. You have to have shared interests, and then some sort of method of communication, right? So, uh, like, uh, for a, a good example is, um, not a great example, but an example for me is I, I got super into watching that show Vikings. And somewhere along the way, you know, I got the thought in my head, like, man, I wonder how hard it is to throw a Viking axe. Um, how, <laughs> how, you know? And so I started talking to my friend about it. I was like, man, we should get Viking axes and learn how to throw them. Because uh, I think it would be super fun, and so my buddy Grant was totally into it. And somewhere along the line, because I'm always thinking about marketing, I'm like, man, what if this became like a new thing, like playing bocce ball or something like that? I could start like a backyard league, and it, within like one or two Google searches, I realized there is an entire backyard axe throwing league, right? So, <laughs> my, <laughs> so th- this is I think a big difference between 2008 and 2016 is that. The internet has really uh, allowed all these micro communities to bloom, and you might uh, benefit instead of starting a tribe, just looking for a tribe and seeing if there's a, a product that you can create for this tribe. Like, you know, yeah, um, you know, hey, you know, in the backyard axe throwing league, there's a whole bunch of dudes that have beards. Maybe I have a beard oil that I want to sell, and so I have like an axe throwing beard oil. Like, there's all so. Like in 2008, I think his idea was that you would have to start the tribe, right? And then he has all these like rules about what, like what you would need to like start the tribe, you know. So he wants you to like publish a manifesto, and then you should be easy to contact. And um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned, like he wants the tribe to have an ease in contacting each other. And then you also don't want money to be the main point, right? Which is kind of like a weird Zen trick. Like you, you might only be doing this stuff because you're like, man, I have a product and I want to tap, tap into tap into tribal marketing because I want yeah, to sell people this. will be able to smell that immediately, yeah. right? You can smell it, and then it's also the benefit of just having a cool thing in this this scene. Like there's not there's non monetary benefit to being a cool person who has a cool idea and a tribe. <laughs> and then, um, and then his last thing is just a typical one, which is just you have to track your progress, which I, I, I don't even know that like track your progress even needs to be said anymore. Like in early 2008, it's not the birth of metrics in social marketing, but it was pretty early days. I mean, I, I think in 2008, I had just done the first Facebook page for the company I worked with at the time, you know, and it was really like, should we even be doing this? Yeah. And my, my pitch for it in 2008 was, well, it's free. <laughs> yeah and and pretty soon you know like i was working at Prado ranch meat company at the time and these numbers don't seem like very much but pretty soon we had a thousand people on our facebook page you know and back then there weren't as many facebook pages and so people would come to us for you know 
what at the time was kind of less common knowledge about like grass fed beef and organic ranching practices. And we became kind of an early curator of content. And then um, eventually it was just wasn't the focus. And it, you know, when you're a small company, you, sometimes you can only do so much with your social outreach, right? But yeah. that, that was an example. It was like a real early days tribe. Um, but, I, you know, I, I don't know that you need to start your own tribe anymore. But he is really clear, Seth Godin is very clear about that there is nothing stopping you from starting your own tribe. Yeah. You know, other, other than the quality of, like, why would anybody else be interested in your tribe? Like, I could, like, you know, with the podcast I'm starting right now, uh, Scary Thoughts, I mean, I don't know that there's people who like taking a highfalutin look at lowfalutin movies, you know? Um, who knows? <laughs> but, you know, okay, and this is a good place to, to pause for the end of part one um, with a quote from the book where he says, great leaders don't water down their message in order to make the tribe bigger. Instead, they realize that a motivated, connected tribe in the midst of a movement is far more powerful than a larger group could ever be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a, a bit of a counterintuitive message, but that I've seen play out time and time again. The, the skateboard brands that you could only get at the cool stores that now you can get anywhere in the mall all sudden aren't as cool anymore. Things like this. But um, let's call that part one. Make sure to tune into part two of our book review um, as we keep talking about people who have taken this philosophy and uh, turned it into success for themselves and others. Thanks so much. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.